And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Plus minus. Curry, way downtown. Oh, what a shot from Curry! Tim Kawakami deserves all the credit there. <laughs> Plus minus. Curry driving again. Tell Marcus that he asked you know, that question about my defense. You hear that, Marcus? Anthony, you know me well, buddy. I have a great night. I think he got the highest plus minus in the season in NBA history. Welcome to another episode of Warriors Plus Minus with my homies, Tim Kawakami and Anthony Slater. The gang is together. We're past the record. We are past the road trip and we're heading like a steamroller towards Christmas Day. How you guys feel it first off? I want to act like I care about you. How, how do you feel? What's going on with you? You said we're past all these things. Are we past the outbreak? That's the question. No, and we're not going to be past that for a long time. Right in the middle of that one. Right in the middle of that one. I'm feeling good though. Slayer, are you feeling good? I'm physically feeling fine, which is which is very important. I got my car out of the shop, so I'm pretty happy. I, did, I wasn't sure I was going to have a car for a little while. So all thumbs up about that. I, I'm mobile. I avoided Toronto. That's what I'm happy about. <laughs> TK, are you avoiding Nashville? Or are you taking a quick flight for the Thursday night game? <laughs> you know me. I, I am not going on the road too much these days. I'm definitely not going to Nashville. I was saying that he's in Fortnite. He's like, just not send anybody. And I got some fans mad at me. But uh, I guess you're going to play a football game for the Fortniteers to try to win the game. But uh, I'm all for the Warriors mentality. Like, you know, if you can avoid certain things, try to avoid them. Don't, don't, don't. This is an interesting environment. Don't test it too much. But we're talking Warriors, not 49ers. And I do think this is like the pre-Clay period. Now, obviously, Slater's reported that it's not going to happen now until January. And I'm thinking maybe mid-January. So it's a long period that they're waiting for Clay. Like, I was thinking, like, you go break, Steph breaks the record. Then they go shift right into, okay, when is Clay coming back? And I think some of these lull games were involving them like oh wait a minute now we got the next big thing and we're still just waiting for clay to come back but it's going to be a longer period now so maybe it doesn't quite get that anticipation but it'll, it'll start again pretty soon you know it'll just like what are they going to be like when clay's back what's clay going to be like what's that what's that night going to be like what's the next few weeks going to be like once clay's back and wiseman so i think they're kind of in that intermediate period i think last night against the kings you saw some of that, and you know, as always, the first game, home game back from a long road trip. You know, who knows what the, where the legs are, but they're kind of in this waiting period. I think, and like we, we kind of know they're really good, and then now they're waiting to see how good they're going to be once Clay's back and when, whenever that happens. There's concern around the team about this outbreak. I mean, obviously, two starters out right now. It's like, yeah, two players in health and safety protocols. That's literally their second and third leading score. You know, 38 points per game, a bunch of minutes. Will it dip to other players in the rotation? And then, you know, I had a few people be like, well, what if what if Clay has to enter health and safety protocols? How does that affect these, like, late stages of his rehab? And that's a serious, like, possibility at this point. Like, I don't want to say probability, but what is it, 100 players in the league now, I think, in it? Uh, you know, that's whatever, like 25% of the league, essentially. So that is the topic around the team and they have coming up they're playing the suns there's 10 teams in the league maybe that's changed and maybe it will change in the in the coming days but i believe there's 10 out of the 30 teams in the league that have nobody in protocols one of them is the suns one of them is the utah jazz those are the two teams next to them in the standings coming up they have the suns on christmas in phoenix and on new year's day they have the jazz in salt lake city uh without pro you know we'll see on pool and wiggins but at this point potentially without those two, potentially without more guys if this you know, outbreak continues. Bad for the NBA because there were marquee games, but I also think Warriors got some losses coming, and I think they're kind of feeling that internally. I think you even felt it in that Kings game. Like they, It's going to be tough for them to score. Who knows what else might happen and who else might test positive, who might have to miss 10, 10 days, two weeks. You know, they're pretty deep though, right? I mean, you, you know, obviously you can get hit harder and you never know, but yeah, they're without... Poole and Wiggins 
and then Kaminga comes out after you know after six minutes with a with a tightness in his back, whatever it was, and they still don't play Moses Moody. Like I mean, you can't prepare for everything. You can't be prepared for everything. Who knows how this will go? But this is where there's an advantage in being deep and an advantage and not getting wiped. You know, really getting hit across the board by COVID. We'll see. At this moment, it's two players. There might be more, or these two players might come back, and there might be other two players. But they do have the depth to kind of absorb some of this. You can't prepare for this. You can't. You know, you're not building your roster for COVID. But this is a roster at this point. As long as Steph is okay, and as long as Draymond's okay, and they can put Iguodala some games, and then they out Porter some games, Bielitsa some games. You know, they they have these. You know, Gary Payton a second. That, that can kind of mix and match, not through the whole season, probably not against the best teams, but they can get through the bulk of the season because they're so deep. MT, you going to say anything? You're going to sit, sit on the side here? Yeah, I was chilling. I was looking at the schedule. The Memphis, Phoenix, up. Denver, Denver, Utah, Miami, Dallas, before they get New Orleans on January 6th. So these next two, four, six, seven games are all against teams that could – you know, easily beat them if they don't bring their A game. So, guess what else? I mean, yeah, it's the Pelicans game you mentioned is like you would think the cupcake, and there's the second night of a back to back. They might want to rest guys. Who knows what on the, the road yeah. like at, at that point? And then look, it's Cleveland at home for only a one game. And home. Cleveland's so good. Stuff, yeah, they're pretty good. And then it's a four game road trip: Memphis, Milwaukee, Chicago, Minnesota. None of those are easy games. Like, there's some danger territory. And right that Milwaukee, now Chicago is also a back to back too. Yeah. You know, particularly if they get hit a little bit more or if like if just the pool Wiggins absences extend, although, you know, I hear like I hear asymptomatic. I hear like it's not like the cases are bad. The expectation is two negative tests, 24 hours apart. Whenever that comes, they should be able to return relatively quickly. But, you know, who knows? I mean, uh, it, it seems like generally it's at least about 10 days once you go in. They need to take whatever Steph is taking because this dude had a party in New York. He's been hanging around like <laughs> All these, like, New York, the whole New York City was trying to get around him, and somehow this dude remains unaffected. Like, it's interesting how he can pull this off. I, I would think because just by sheer exposure, he would be the riskiest one. Uh, you know, like, KD came to his, his little gathering, you know. In and then York. went into protocol yeah, right, like, right after. He must got some, he must, he must, what's Steph, what Steph got? He masked super, up super. really well. He, he's yes. Just, Super, I mean, you can't be talking to, you can't be talking to uh uh you know Fauci and not taking this seriously, right? Like so he's probably yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Marcus, this is also a risky uh statement by you with a podcast that won't come out until about, you know, twelve hours or whatever after You know what? And I think Kerr mentioned that he thought that Steph was tired last night, you know, and, and didn't play well. Uh and, and he kind of you know, managed his rotation differently. Obviously, he wasn't making shots until the fourth quarter. I didn't notice that he was not playing great defense that much, but but Kerr certainly mentioned that. Volunteered it, right? He volunteered it. He didn't, like, really – it wasn't tough to get him to say that. So we might be – like, during this, you know, long, tough period here before Clay comes back, Steph might take some games off even if he's – you know, if he's through protocol, like if he's okay, he still might take some games off and they might rest. I mean, obviously it won't be the Christmas game. It won't be the national TV games. But uh, I think there is some chance that Steph and Draymond are missing some games in the next few weeks, even you know before Clay gets back. And there's all right, as, as Slayer's and there's some else possibly coming up. But that's why that you, you start off the way they did. That's why you try to win as many games as possible before this stuff hits you. Uh, and then maybe you lose a few more when Clay comes back, adjusting to Clay, but they're okay with there too. And assuming that, that he works in, he transitions well, and by February they're at full speed. I think they'll they'll take that kind of scheduling, even if you absorb a couple losses, say in, you know in January, maybe three, maybe four losses in January, and then you see what happens in February, March, April, May, June, all those all those extra months. This is what twenty five and six gets you. You know, it's it gets you so even though we look at this you know, rough area of scheduling and even if it's a five and five over the next ten, it's a four and six, like, okay. I mean, they're not like at risk of falling out of the playoffs. Whereas last year, remember, like every pocket of the schedule was like, oh, you know, I feel like on a day to day basis we were taking a different temperature check, like, and yeah, now they might not make the you know, uh six seed. But yeah, they're set up fine. But you know, I mentioned it and look at Things can change, but as we talk about seeding and the, and the one, two, three, Utah's playing really well, uh, although they had a 
that loss to the Spurs recently, but they have nobody in protocol. That's the big thing. And neither do the Suns at this point. And that means maybe through this stretch, including these head-to-heads coming up on the road for the Warriors, I could see them falling into third pretty soon. That's all. Yep, yep. They could be third. And then there will be panic all around, and there will be stories written about how it's all falling apart. Well, it's funny because, like, if I – Told either all of us before the season, like Warriors would be comfortably like at least a third seat, like the third seat. They'd be like, "Wow, what a season!" Thirty-one and ten, third seed. Clay's just coming back. Fire curve if it happens so. at this point. <laughs> it's all falling apart. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, again, yeah, yeah, that's why they wanted the fast start. That's why they planned for the fast start. That's how played better than than they even could plan for. So that that's okay. Then we'll, then they'll then they'll, they'll adjust to how it goes. But and we'll see how you know we'll, we'll see if they do get Wiggins and pull back relatively quickly. We'll see how they're playing. You know, obviously pl- some players have struggled coming back, right? And we've seen that. We saw and Wiggins struggled after the shot. You know, I, whether that was exactly because of the shot or not. But guys have issues coming back sometimes. So we'll see. But uh, they do have Clay and Wiseman coming back, and they do have a deep team. Just get through this part, get Clay back, and then I think we'll we'll see who they really are. But I think it's clearly they're one of the top two, three teams in the West, and that means, I mean, they're they they got a long playoff road ahead of them probably. And how much of this I wonder will be like, like cured or whatever ailed by a, a Steph Curry turnip? You know, he hasn't really shot the ball well. He's got a lot of areas. You know, with his percentages as far as like he he was better. Thirty nine point six from three right now. By the way, it was thirty nine nine last week, and we thought that was yeah, the low yeah, point. No. Yeah, thirty nine six. Jesus. He obviously can go on these runs. Uh, it looks like, you know, he was determined to make layups against the Kings on Sunday or on yesterday. But he, you know, he was getting to the cup and he was finishing better. But there's clearly like this space for him to kind of grow, and I wonder if that would be enough. To kind of carry them through this uh, this rough stretch or any uh, any other stretch. I mean, it's obvious if Steph ends up out, like that's that's a game changer. <laughs> and you she owes the time. It. And you already she owes the time. She uh, owes the time. We should get a counter. We should get a week to week counter. I mean, last week we we're at thirty nine nine on Steph. I think we all would have guessed a week later it'd be in the forties. It's thirty nine six. Where's it going to be next week? <laughs> forty two. I'm going to say it's going to be over forty. Forty two. Yeah, I say that every 42. time. Forty two. It's just shocking to me to see that number, to see a three up on that percentage. I'm just not used to it. I would imagine he's going to get it over 40. But That yeah, rest you know, Steve gave him at the end, that saved him right there. That cha- that was the yeah. game changer right there. We're going to point to go. that as the what turned around Steph. <laughs> Kerr kind of did. like like I felt like he kind of did credit that. Like that little yeah. rest for great coaching maneuver there. Marcus, you mentioned, I saw you on Twitter, you talked about Otto Porter. I wrote about him, you know, four or five blocks. He was really You're good welcome, by night. the way. I gave you that great idea that you weren't thinking about until you saw my tweet. MT running the That's show. As I mean, always. he's an editor. As always. <laughs> um, That's not true, by the way. <laughs> so, like, what do you generally think of, of Porter? I mean, like, they, they're they viewing Porter a little bit like Iguodala, although, you know, he didn't have the knee swelling that Iguodala did, but, like, they sit him on either side of the back-to-back. They're clearly trying to preserve him. They talk like his body has been feeling better as the season has gone on, which I think is a, different than a lot of vets, right? Usually it's like... They kind of start to tail off a bit, but he looks pretty good. And, you know, it's kind of what I wrote about. Like, he's just like a big man for them now, which, like, it's kind of crazy because, like, as we all know, like, even when they made the offseason signing, you're like, oh, nice wing signing. It's like, no. No, he's a big. And that what's crazy is, like, obviously in his, like, I guess his prime, he's still super young, but he was a good defender, right? He was a good wing defender. But he's now essentially down there with Draymond. And you could, like, he's with Draymond. And it takes a lot for you to be able to say, all right, it's me and Draymond. We're going to man the middle. Like, we're going to handle these boards. We're going to protect the rim. I didn't call this with him. I didn't think he would be this guy where it's like they're locking in. They're down there fighting for boards. He's getting tough rebounds, like in-traffic rebounds. And the blocks is obviously like, yo, he's. He's pinning stuff to the glass and talking crazy to the refs afterwards. Like, <laughs> I don't even know who this dude is anymore. I guess Draymond said last night, yeah, he is 6'9". Like, you forget he's 6'9". He's not 6'5", 6'6", wing. He's he's a big wing, and he's not a perimeter defender anymore. I mean, I guess he might have been a little bit when he was younger. Clearly, he's not that guy the anymore. Hips. The hips have yeah, gone. It's yeah, a little just, loony just, like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just like it takes him a while to get going. 
But even on those blocks, like you see him, like he's like takes a while, but then he gets there because he's long, uh, and he he extends very nicely. But you don't see that transition very often from guys. You don't just see like turning from a wing perimeter guy to a kind of a low post rim protecting big. But he has to, and at six nine he can, and that's impressive. He's just like he's there. He's a backline guy, and he's taking those shots without even flinching. Like you know, just the comparison to him and Bielitsa. Bielitz is putting him up a little bit without without as much hesitation lately, but we've seen what happened to him early in the season. Porter just pulls, man. He just pulls those shots, and he has to, especially when pulls out. They need someone else who's going to shoot. They, they're putting some funky lineups out there because they have to, and, man, Otto Porter has to be an offensive force, at least be somebody defenses worry about. And he's doing both things, and that's very valuable to them. I mean, it's just, especially with the guys who are out, and the wings scoring that they don't have right now, and it's got to come from him. And and Iguodala, those two guys, uh, they, they both were really good last night. He has the attitude of, like, a guy who was previously a 25 million per year player which is like i think as you know we talk about all these veteran minimum pieces and and some of the guys that haven't worked because they've been more hesitant or just you know being around Steph or just in the warriors environment there's just a little bit of you know like i said hesitancy porter doesn't have that you could tell like especially on the nights where the three's hot or when when he's even talking to us post game about how much he loves to get rebounds and it's like i don't think you guys know how much i like rebounds um you just see like oh yeah this guy you know four years ago was like signing a basically a near max deal it was like the four overall picks on that you know he was high. overall pick yeah, georgetown yeah, I mean, he, like big time yeah. prospect that all of that and He's really big. Like Tim mentioned it, like Marcus, first time you saw Otto Porter, you know, walk into the interview room, you're like, I was like, damn, he's bigger yeah, than he's big, I, I knew right? he was a yeah. big wing, but he's big. <laughs> he is. He is. I, I think the rebound thing is super interesting because it's just a part of his game you just don't kind of assign to him. Like, he's actually a really good rebounder. I mean, his, his rebound rate, I, I checked last night, I think it was like 13, 13%. Which is is really good. Like Draymond's at fourteen, uh, and it's I, I know TK used to always get on this. They're real rebounds, right? They're <laughs> they're, they're that in traffic rebounds. Yeah, not the one on the missed free throw where there's nobody around. <laughs> like, I, yeah, if he can do that and and hit like and hit the three, like that's way more than they bargained for with that price. TK, was that a subtle shot at Warriors 75 player of the, the <laughs> game last night, David Lee? David Lee's posters up post game last night. And, and I feel like that was a, that, that rebound comment. I think was there a was a tweet about a, the double double no. machine in the background. No. Yeah, because he was right all over Kerr's shoulder. He was right on top of him. That guy, I didn't. Just dunking on the Sixers, too, by yeah. the way. How about that picture they used? <laughs> I know, see the faces of the Sixer players in the background. Hey, I, they're honoring David. I don't want to make fun of him, but. Um, and he he did a lot of good things for this team, so I, I will lay off of being. You're luring me into this diplomacy. And I saw, oh Are you seeing this, Marcus? This diplomacy. <laughs> I, I did. What think is about happening? It. I, I, I was thinking about it. I was going to laugh about it on Twitter. You know what? They're honoring the guy. I shouldn't. You know, he did nothing. You know, he he's just being honored. I don't want to ruin that. He should have a if he's watching or whatever. He should have a happy time because they're honoring what he did. If I can honor Andres Beatrice, I can honor uh, David Lee. So. But yes, there are certain rebounds, not just by David Lee. Well, how many times in OKC did you see Westbrook like fighting through people to make sure he got that missed rebound, uh, missed free throw rebound, right? That's that's how you you pile up those easy stats. And the ones that are in traffic with a center on the opponent going for it too, and you're in the middle of it, and you got to rise up and pull it down, those are huge rebounds. And Porter's getting him, and obviously Draymond gets a ton of them. Uh, and you know those are the ones that are meaningful to me at least, and and we're seeing some guys who get them. JTA gets those guys kinds of rebounds. You're just pulling them out of traffic. That that it could go to anybody, and you just pull them down. Those are those are big time. That's what early in their careers, Wiseman and Kuminga haven't done. They're huge. They're great athletes. They have so much potential. They don't get contested rebounds. Neither of them, really. I mean, like, Kuminga's had a couple nice moments, and sure, we could go find, like, five Wiseman rebounds last year that were like, wow, that's a power Patrick Ewing-type rebound. But generally, both of them have had rebounding issues. And, you know, that's, that's young players, right? That's lack of physicality, lack of feel on angles, and just learning the league. But, you know, you see the veteran nature of Otto Porter a lot uh, within that. Yep. And this team's been a good rebounding team. You know, it's not a big team. And I haven't looked at the stats lately, but I know like a couple weeks ago, they're a pretty good rebounding team, and you wouldn't think that. Uh, they just they don't get beat on the boards 
I mean, other people think they do. I mean, perceptually, I can see like, yeah, it does seem like they get. They were like a bottom five rebounding team last year, and then that was that's been a huge thing that like it's just not that fun to talk about, but it is mentioned a lot by Kerr or like you know we'll mention it occasionally. Like, look, they've just been a great rebounding team this year. I'm gonna actually go look up right now what they are in rebounding. But uh, is there anything else from last night you want to talk about, Tim? Uh, you know, I do think that you know the clay thing puts everything in a delay for me because. I'm so much trying to think of how this is going to work on Clay's back. They've got so many guys, I'm not sure. And Damian Lee was somebody, I'll, I'll bring up Damian Lee. I mean, he was somebody you're looking at, well, he's not going to play anymore because he just can't make shots. In the last two games, he's made shots. And the Toronto game, whatever, throwaway game, but he started making shots and that has transferred. And, he, and what I respect about Damian is he kept taking them. I mean, he was a little hesitant there for a little bit. And if he says he didn't win a shot, he can't play. But if you just keep putting the shots up, and some, at some point, they're going to start going down, and they're going down for him now. And when he makes shots, he's an important player, and he's a guy that they're going to put out there. Some, you know, not a ton, but they're going to put out some, even when Clay's back. And I felt the struggle for him. We all know he's a great guy. We all know he's fought through this. We all know that, that he's great in the locker room. But, man, when his shot's not going down, and he's, you know, he's not a great defensive player, he tries. He can give you some other things. But when that shot's not going down, the defenses are not respecting him. They can't play him. And the shots are going down. They went down last night. So that was just for, I just think for the mentality of the team, I think he's important for just the, you know, he's the pure definition of rank and file on that team. And it's important. It's important for everybody. You know, I, Kerr loves them all. You know, coaches love them. Obviously the teammates love him. And when he's struggling, you just kind of feel a tension a little bit because he means so much to the, just kind of the group at large. And to see those shots go down last night, I think was important for everybody. Yeah, and you mentioned he just has like a fluctuating importance through the season depending on what's going on around him on the team. Look, he was, he's in a big slump the last month. They're still winning because it's like, okay, he could just go to the edge of the rotation. There's nights he's not playing. There's nights, you know, he comes in, he's missing four shots, but whatever, it's it's over a span of five minutes. Not now, not with Wiggins and pool out. Like this is the pocket of the schedule coming up. We mentioned the tough challenges for them to survive this stretch with like a decent record. Like last night he goes seven of eight, four, four from three. doesn't have to do that. But he's like you said, like he's going to get four to like seven wide open threes over the course of the game. Let's say he gets seven per over the next you know, five games. He's probably going to start because they tried Moses Moody. Didn't work. I think they're going to stick with Lee in Poole's place. He's just got to hit like three of them. You know, yep, and, yep. And, and, and and not hit none of them. Yeah, like you can't. Yeah. You, yeah. yeah, hit at least one of them. Be somebody defenses have to respect. Cut. You know, floater and, and, occasionally. You know that exactly. like slashing floater. Exactly. Yeah. Make his free throws, which he makes his free throws. Hit two clutch ones yeah. uh, the other night. Play some defense. Be long. You know, and this is that's how you maintain your rotation through this tough time. And when Clay comes back, how how many minutes he's going to get? I don't know, but. I mean, I was thinking he was not going to play anymore once Clay comes back because this was not helping the team for, you know, for like seven, eight, ten games. I think he'll stay in there for some. I think it is important. We know Kerr loves those bench guys. He loves making sure that they play. Uh, maybe it won't be every game ten minutes, but it'll be a lot of games of ten minutes. And then, you know, maybe have a role in the playoffs, in the playoff rotation. We'll see. But as we start looking at how this is all going to work, I think GP2, is going to be in the rotation. I think he has to be in the rotation. So then you start knocking it down from there, and you kind of see how this is going to shuffle as we look when Clay comes back. And I think, and we can tell by them backing off of Clay, backing off of Clay. They want Clay wants to come back like almost full speed. We know it won't be, but like he wants to come back in shape. He wants to come back like he can run all day. We'll see where he is in rhythm. We'll see where he is, you know, all these other things. But he doesn't want to come back and play five minutes a game. I think that's pretty. Like he wants to come back and start hitting shots and playing some defense. We'll see if that's true. But he wants to come back and be every bit of clay that he can be right away. It's not. I don't think it's going to be like, oh, God, he looks terrible. That's the part they're trying to avoid by backing this up and making sure he feels comfortable once he's Yeah, because they know the spotlight's going to be on him. And as much as you know, everyone should contextualize, like, it's 18 minutes a game. He hasn't played 940 days, whatever. Like, it's... What do you think we're all writing about in the in the week that he's back? Like every like, how did he look on this defensive possession? Is he moving laterally like he used to? But two things I want to mention. One, number one, me and Tim are not just owning this podcast. Marcus Thompson has exited stage right, kind of like Jonathan Kaminga did last <laughs> night, and just you know he's gone. Stretching, stretching, yeah. Stretching. yeah Marcus is stretching in the tunnel, uh, lower back tightness. I mentioned the rebound, and I looked it up. They're second in the league in, in rebound percentage right now. They get fifty two point three percent of uh, you know available rebounds. The only better team in the league is the Jazz, which you know have Rudy Gobert. Uh, and then 
you know, they're 11th in offensive rebound, but where they're really good, they're, they're tied for first in the league in defensive rebounding. 75% of defensive re- rebounds available, they grab back. That's really good. And, again, I'm actually going to go. I'm filtering. I'm going to last season, which w- this was a big issue for them. It's not coming up. Why is, it, why is the last season not coming up? I'm not going to be able to pull up the exact number, but they were really bad. They were, like, bottom 10, and that's a problem. I want to discuss Kaminga. You know, we we talked about it last night. I think going in, both of us were like, oh, "This is kind of somewhat the story of the night, right?" He goes into Toronto. He gets the spot start in kind of the mass rest game. Twenty six points. Uh, he looked really good. He had four threes, which was kind of the aberration of the night. But generally, you know, he's playing out there with Scotty Barnes and OGN and Obi, and he's like, he's popping as an athlete. He went through Scotty Barnes on a post up one point. He had a couple really nice dunks. Um, doing some other stuff. Kerr kind of dinged him for the only one rebound. We mentioned that earlier, but. I think he was rewarded. Actually, I know you could tell with the way Kerr was saying it, uh, with the start in Andrew Wiggins' place at the three. I think part of it was because they were playing a Kings team that they weren't really concerned about. <laughs> but he started next to Looney and Draymond. I think they wanted to just see if he could work as a three. I think that's going to remember with Pascal that became a big thing. I think they want to start to test out and see if Kaminga could. So we were really looking forward to it. I know you're tweeting pregame like the Bar- Harrison Barnes Kaminga yeah. <laughs> matchup. Let's get after it. <laughs> Which Kerr mentioned, by the way, himself. So I kind of did like Kerr mentioned Barnes' matchup. He's like, he's going to defend Harrison Barnes. Like, okay, yeah, that is interesting. I want to see that. Yeah, I mean, because look, he did Sabonis and uh, Julius Randle on the road trip. Like, I agree. Like, every Kaminga minute is much more interesting than a lot of these veteran minutes because we know who the <laughs> veterans are. We're trying to discover who Kaminga is. And he plays six minutes. He had a steal, like kind of a good anticipation, weak side steal on the first possession. Missed a couple jumpers. Uh, and then he had a nice transition drive and layup. But in general, I thought he was moving slow. He was kind of like sauntering up the court. Didn't think too much of that. Sits after six minutes when you expected him to get subbed out. And then you're the one who actually saw him get pulled off the bench. It's tough for him because I thought this was kind of an important potential turning point in his rookie year. Like, could he grab a rotation spot? Yeah, he did move slowly towards the end of his run. I did, And I thought maybe, was he pouting? But, you know, he's not been pouting. I, I don't know. So I didn't wasn't sure like he just was kind of standing in the corner really wasn't rotating on defense so maybe i should have thought that maybe there's something wrong the timeout comes he has a long talk with mike brown long talk with mike brown and then he goes over and sits by him you know sits down there's no medical attention around him like you just kind of see him sitting and then the play starts he's sitting there and then all of a sudden there's people around him there's a staffer and he gets up and they're kind of summoning him down the tunnel and there's like two staffers who walk with him but there's nobody that I saw was attending to him with, you know, or, you know, putting a pad on his back or stretching him. That wasn't happening. Maybe the, the discussion was, we'll stretch you out in, in, you know, in the locker room. But he might have tweaked something. The, the more you say that, I did notice, like, I, I didn't see him. Like, you, what you would imagine what the Warriors want to see out of Just move. Just know what you're doing. Be focused. Be quick. And get to places where other guys can't get to. And he was just kind of standing there. So so maybe that was it. He's certainly very athletic. He's certainly very twitchy. You can see somewhere in there where he might have tweaked something. You know, and, and you, he was running the court, though. That's like early on, you could just see. Like, he was running the court. They're looking for him to finish. He, he finished one. He kind of missed his first two finishes. Because, you know, it's, you're, you're, trying, you're trying to fly through the air in the NBA. Guys are going to bump you or guys are going to deflect the ball. Uh, a little turnover prone again, and you know, all these things that we can break down for any 19 year old, but it was a little weird. It's just like, I think they wanted to see him too. I, I, I'm sure like people were getting mad. Why isn't Kurt playing? I go, he's not even on the bench right now. So he's not playing him because he's, he's in the locker room. I do think they wanted to see him. They kind of were, they wanted to see him against Met too. They wanted to see him against Barnes. They wanted to see him against, see what he could do out there. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is meme mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. I think they wanted to see him next to Draymond and Looney, which was a big deal, right? Like, can they survive? Because that should be a defensively, like, terrorizing group. And it was early. I think the Kings had, like, two points in the first six minutes. But the big question there is spacing, right? I mean, you know. I don't think he's going to be a three-point shooter, but like, can he just be such a powerful force that, sure, you're playing in a crunch court, but if he's running a 1-3 a pick-and-roll or even a 3-1 pick-and-roll with Steph Curry, is he just like is that just going to score on any defense type thing? Yeah, or use that space like Draymond does. like Eat it up with a dribble, cause a defense to collapse, and then you could kick out. Or, you know, with his strength, just finish over everybody if you can. I think they wanted to see all those things. Uh, and they wanted to see, yeah, is Steph looking for him? Is he doing the right things? There was a, Did you see the time where he was in the same spot as Steph and then Draymond's motioning him to get the hell out of there? A little Oubre, a little Oubre like, but that's gonna, yeah, that's gonna happen. That's gonna, 19, he's nineteen year old. Kelly Oubre was twenty five, so slight difference there. They don't know, and we'll see how long this bag issue acts up. I, I was surprised he didn't come back at all onto the bench. Like he did not come back out. I, the way he was walking off, I thought he was gonna come back right out, like a couple minutes, and he didn't come back out for the entire game. I, I was, that was a little weird to me, but you know, whatever you go through your own injury situations, but I, I wanted to see that because I think he's going to defend the three and he's going to play an offensive four. I, I think that's the way it's shaping up where those minutes are with this team and this season. I don't know, but he's not an offensive three. He's not, I mean, they can try it. They can, he's, he's just not going to be enough of an outside shooting threat to be a real three. They're going to have to go with a border or Wiggins, or, you know, there's other guys they can throw at that three spot. Even Clay, even Clay, he's going to play some three, I think. But he's going to defend some that stretch position. Stretch four, according to Draymond yes. Green last yeah, night. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, he's a four in the NBA. No, 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 I mean, uh, Clay, Draymond oh, joke last night, Clay's going to come back as a stretch four. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, that's kind of tweaking uh, Clay, I think. He said him and Luna have been joking with him. That, <laughs> yeah, is, that, yeah, that it isn't the NBA he left, and he will return yeah. as a stretch four. <laughs> I'm sure Clay does not love hearing that, but um, Kaminga can play a lot of different things. That's the value of him, and it's also going to be an interesting, like, how do you fit that into what they do? Because he's got that element of he can do something different. He can take two dribbles and get to the rim, but he can also dribble it once off his leg, and it kicks it out, and they go. the team goes to the other side for a dunk. But that's necessary a little bit in this team. You know, it's that Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, you know, he's not them, but... When things break down, Steph's double. No one else wants to take the shot. They they can have him out there theoretically and go get a bucket. Not right now, but perhaps in a couple months. Certainly, hopefully for them by next season. So we want to see that. It was disappointing just not to be able to see it, other than the six and a half minutes that he played. And you know, it wasn't a great. And and, and maybe two of them were two minutes of the, were compromised by him not feeling great. I don't know. Again, I didn't see him express this. I didn't see him point to his back. I ha- I was looking very carefully, clearly, and I didn't see that. But he might have been just telling them instead of just pointing to his back. And, and maybe he just didn't feel as explosive as he could have. Uh, that's disappointing. I'm sure we'll see him again at some point. But that would have been a great moment for him to play really solid basketball for 30 minutes in a spot where they could have used it. But you know what? They had Iguodala, and they had Porter, and they got GP2, they got JTA. I mean, they could throw these all these other guys to get through a game like that. But this was a game where they could have just said, Kaminga, 
go get 26 minutes, see what you can do. And if you play great, you can play 32. And it didn't happen. He won that chance because he had played good. Just like, remember, the first time he cracked the rotation was because a few straight games in, in, in pocket spots against the Bulls, I remember at home when he was under Rosen. He played good. So they're like, oh, let's try him against the Hornets. He played good against the Hornets. They tried him against the uh, Nets in Brooklyn. He was pretty good. Then he was bad against Cleveland. They went to JTA, and he disappeared for a while. Look, they, they gave him spot against the Pacers, spot against the Knicks, and he was pretty good in that. Then they gave him the big start against Toronto. Great uh, response. Okay, let's start him in Andrew Wiggins' place. And then I think they weren't too pleased with how, like you said, like, you know, not rotating. He had a really lazy closeout on Halliburton, and maybe he said, look, it's just my back. And then that's why he disappeared. But as we view the trend lines of a rookie season, as we did throughout James Wiseman's rookie season, we just both thought this was a chance for like Jonathan coming up. Remember, like Gary, like this. I would use Gary Payton as an example. He wasn't in the rotation early in the season. They gave him these little moments, including even some games not playing at all. Go with seven seconds left in the second quarter and try to help on defense. And then he just rips the steal away. I was like, okay, well, like let's maybe give him five minutes. And then he was so good consecutively. Now it's like Gary Payton every night rotation. And this just felt like a moment as as things were trending so well for Kaminga, like. Go grab a nightly rotation spot, and it didn't happen. We'll see. I mean, the COVID protocol situation, as long as he doesn't go into them, should present more minutes for him or Moody or other guys moving forward. And just to give Andre rest, like they're going to give guys rest throughout this process. The thing with him is he could go in there at three. He could go in there at four. He can give them, I think he can give them some minutes at five. So against certain matchups. And he might be a five in the NBA. It's like kind of, I the more I look at it, like he might just be a super athletic five in the way that you know, like Giannis. What is Giannis? He's a five. You know, and he sometimes plays alongside a five, but he plays the position in, in a lot of ways. Um, and you know, we'll see. It, it, it just we you got to see him on the court. They were ready to get him on the court, and then he didn't. He couldn't get through the first quarter. If it's a physical thing, that's okay. It's understandable. But I think they're going to go through these things. And that's the thing is when Wiseman is back, then they're going to go th- through these things with Wiseman. They're going to, not going to want to go through them with Wiseman and Kaminga at the same time. So that that becomes the formula of this season is like they want to see these guys, but they also they got to get through these minutes. They got to win the games that they can uh, and, and not have guys kick away games. And we'll probably see Wiseman kick away some games. Like we saw it last season. He hadn't played for a long time. We'll probably do it again. And then he might be great for a game or two. So they, they got so many of these guys. So clearly Moody is, you know, Moody's kind of cornered out of this because he's young, you know, he's at, at a position where the ball's in his hands. And, and we know with Kerr, if you, the ball's in your hands and you don't know what to do with it, Kerr does not want you on the floor. Uh, and it's okay for a post player sometimes, but not not for a two or three. And he's a two three, uh, and like we're seeing that already. And this team has enough twos and threes where they don't need him to Moses Moody to play. They could use Kaminga to play. Like they could use Kaminga. I think they recognize that, but it might not happen for a little while now. And then Clay's coming back, and then Wiseman's coming back, and then you know, again, all these things are going to just be moving up and down, up and down. When and I do think they're going to start looking at really start to rest guys, uh, and that means Steph and, and Draymond. I think those two guys they've talked about it, we've felt it. I think they're really going to start. It might hurt them, might lose some games. It's okay, and if you come out of it with a with a much more rested, a fresher Steph and Draymond, they're okay with that, and then have everything click into place in April. Like we're resting Marcus right now. He's our guy. He's our barometer. We want to make we, we want him fresh for April and May. I think they're going to attack this season a bit more aggressively than than maybe you expect on that because I just think seeding is going to matter to them and I just think that they just have such a uh, like Kerr particularly has had such a vibe about him that like games matter these games matter I think it's because the last couple seasons they acted like they didn't as much <laughs> the obviously the chasing wins comment looms over it all and it's why Steve I think get, literally preseason game <laughs> one when they came out and shot 69 threes and like looked regular season ready he was like we're chasing wins this season they're going to spot rest for guys when they need it but I don't think they're going to throttle back like it's the dynasty days I do think you're going to see them I mean, they're going to navigate the, the the pitfalls of the season, but I just don't think they're going to like slip into this lull of like, and eh, the next ten games don't matter. I agree with you, but you know, again, a lot of this is predicated. Are Utah and Phoenix guaranteed to keep winning like this? Maybe Utah, because Utah kind of has a history of this, but maybe not. I mean, they could have issues. They could have injuries. Like, like some of this is 
Like, if this was another season and those two teams weren't doing that, the Warriors would have, like, a seven-game lead. And they don't? That's un- I mean, they were the one-two seeds last year, Phoenix, Utah, and they were, like, near 60 wins. I mean, like, these are just, like, regular season, like, giants. Now, Phoenix proved it more in the playoffs. I think, look, I don't think they care too much if, it, if they're the three, Utah's the two, and they got to go into Utah for, for game one in the second round. Like, there's going to be a, a large level of confidence they can go steal that game. So, like, maybe, like, the seeding is a little bit overrated. I just think it's more like the Steve Kerr urgency of the season that has been laid out in relative sense like yeah but if they go through this and they end up with 55 whatever the seeding is i think they'll be fine like 55 and 27 they're going to be fine if it gets them down to 51 52 50 then it's a lesser feeling but i think they're like what are they they're on pace for like 60 now probably whatever it is at least what are 25 and 6 i'd have to do the math and i don't yeah it's yeah it's it's if they get to 55 wins 56 wins they're fine, and they'd have to slow down to beat to go fifty-five or fifty-six wins. So I just think it. I just say in relation to going, like, are they going to push for sixty-five? No, that'd be silly. And even if Utah's going to win sixty-five, don't drive for sixty-five. That would take too much out of Steph and Draymond. Pull it back from that. If you want to rest them for a couple games here, you know, in in early January, and you still end up with fifty-five, that's the better way to do it than push everybody to get to 65 you still might not get to 65 you still might not get to the number one seat and then you got a bunch of tired players uh, which is exactly what happened when they went for 73 which i understood i supported i got it it was incredible to cover it was incredible to watch and they they should have won a championship even then if draymond doesn't get suspended for game five but there's like a lot of history here and they're a lot older these draymond and steph and, and andre Again, in, with perspective, not saying tank a month, but three, five, seven games, if they lose those, I, I, I don't think they're going to sweat that too much as long as they end up one, two, three. And even if they do that, I think they might end up as one. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't have any sense that I, I can write down 60 for either Arizona, uh, for Phoenix. I'm thinking Arizona Cardinals for some reason. Uh, definitely not them. They're not. They're definitely falling apart. And Phoenix and and Utah. I, I just don't know. Like, there's just so many ups and downs to a season. Just play well. Get to 55. Play. Feel good about Clay. And if you end up at the three, like you said, they'll feel very good going in against Utah uh, in in the in the second round. They'll feel very very good about that. The vaunted Chase Center villains, the Memphis Grizzlies, are in town Thursday night. This is in this in this very young career of chase center whatever you want to call it history of chase center. by the way they're on a 66 win pace the, right the now Warriors 66 win well, so yeah. are phoenix then i guess uh <laughs> yeah, yeah but memphis has has their number memphis is tough chase. memphis is tough memphis is tough now no job no he's back he's back oh he's, he is back not That's only right. is he back, he back yeah. so this has been very weird so he was great early in the season right like spectacular people are talking about maybe all nba some of the offensive stuff he was doing but when he goes out there the 30th ranked defense in basketball which was like, wow, Memphis is 33. So he goes out, and then over this long stretch of games that he was out, they became the first. They they were the best defensive team in basketball. So it raised their you know them from 30th to 16 over the season. Now he comes back yesterday, and then a Thunder team that literally Memphis beat by 73 points. I think it was was the NBA record a couple weeks ago. They lost to the Thunder yesterday with Jaw back, and apparently some courtside Memphis fan told Jaw that he's like. You know, we don't need you or something like that. He had some long quote post game about how disrespectful it was. Anyway, yeah, John did not like that. John did not like that. Yeah. I, I, that's right. I should have. I did see that. I did see. Yeah. That. So regardless, uh, we know like the, the the mix of these Memphis players that that we've seen, including in the play in setting, which is like, I mean, that was a good basketball game. Jaw killed him in that game. He will be back. Dylan Brooks is who we didn't see early in the season. He missed a lot of early in the season. That's part of the reason they were the 30th ranked defense. He wasn't there. He is going to be, you know, all up in Steph Curry. I think this is a game Steph Curry kind of wants to bust out of this slump and do it against a guy like Dylan Brooks. That, to me, is the marquee matchup Thursday night. Jaron Jackson's been playing better. It's an interesting game, and to me, with Phoenix, Denver, Denver, Utah coming after it, like if you lose to Memphis here, like you, it could snowball a little bit. So I just think it's an interesting game Thursday night. No question. We know. I mean, they've circled this. This is a game that's important to them, especially because of the play-in game. But they got, you know, they got some weapons they can throw. And they GP two put him on jaw, right? I mean, 
they didn't have somebody who could slow down. I, I guess that was Wiggins, you right? Want to know what's season? funny? They had GP two. Yeah. They didn't bring him off the bench, though. Yeah, Remember? that's right. That's right. They had these guys. Now they get the. Now they got him in rotation. And yeah, Steph on in a shooting slump. It just sets up for him to, to do something against it. But I, I like this Memphis team. I always have. Uh, it's always been strange to me that they haven't won more. Then they've been, you know, Jaron Jackson's been hurt a lot, and and you know, they, you know, some of these guys you can see why they match up perfectly for the Warriors. Maybe not against everyone. Desmond Bain, I like a lot. Like there's these Kyle and like, these guys I like, but maybe they're not over an 82 game season. Maybe they're much more pointed to playing the Warriors. I've said like I think the Warriors want to, would want to avoid them most of all in the playoffs. You know, not as a Western Conference final matchup, but in a first round matchup, that's who they don't. Yeah, want like to play. a weird two seven. They're like, oh, really? Yes, Memphis like a, is the seven. It's just a funky team, and Memphis is a, you know, just there's some memories there. They were, they were tough to beat in 2015 with a whole different whole different roster, but it's still that idea. You know, let's say you did go into a two seven, even though Memphis right now is what's sitting at I think the four, but. If you did get in a 2-7, like, that isn't a team that's going to come into Chase Center scared. They've won it, basically a playoff game in Chase Center, that core. And they're going to take a bite out of you, even if, if you beat them, because they're going to be physical on Steph, most of all. And they're going to force Draymond to shoot the ball. They're going to force Andre to shoot the ball. They're going to be all over him, all over Steph. They got length. Warriors have struggled against length, even in this great season. Their 66-win pace, we all know that they've struggled against the length. The Sixers. Uh, you know, we, Memphis, we've seen it over and over again. Charlotte, they're good. Warriors are the better team, but Memphis does take a toll on them. The Warriors would like to just knock them off, I'm sure, to, to get that confidence leveled out. If they lose to Memphis again, what, what, what are we talking about? Like, that's not good for a, you know, for a potential down the road because Memphis is going to be there at some point. That would be three straight Chase Center losses to Memphis play in, and then these two. With, you know, some points, it's not like the Warriors are blowing these games off. Like, these are games that they want to win. I think they'll win. I, I think it'll be tough as always, but I think, you know, when Draymond and Steph really, really want to win something, although we could have said that about the playing game, and, and they didn't. But I just think they're better. They're better set up. The Otto Porter, you know, we've seen all these things. What, what's your take on Bielitsa right now? What do, what do you think when Bielitsa comes in the game? They've built this like defensive identity of like everyone's on a string, everyone knows their assignment, everyone's like being super physical and you know, just bumping bodies in the paint, rotating hard. And I do think Bielitsa knows his assignment. I think he generally want you know, it can be a smart defender, but there's been a lot of like turnstile plays or you know, a big man comes in and, you know, Philly, we sit really like right behind the basket in Philadelphia. And, you know, look, that's about as tough a matchup as it's going to get in the league uh, against big men. But it was Embiid and Drummond who was like, you know, Drummond's basically like Diet Coke and Embiid coming off the bench. And there was, I think they were like minus 17 and Bielitz is like 12 minutes or something like that in that game. And it was just like big men just toss him around the paint at times. I mean, he's got kind of skinny legs, I think. To me, like, there are moments where you're like down on Bielitsa and then suddenly he's like 27 feet out and he pops three straight threes and you're like, oh yeah, like they haven't had a stretch big like that. But, you know, when I watch this Philly game in this like raucous Saturday night Philadelphia environment and I just see Andre Drummond throwing him into the stanchion and dunking as the Philly crowd's going nuts and he's like looking frustrated at the bench like, what could I even have done? I just think like he's gonna he might just get pulled very quickly in playoff matchups. I think we feel the same way. Like maybe there's a playoff series where he makes a lot of sense as a stretch big to like kind of take somebody off the floor on somebody else's second unit. You know, an Ennis Cantor. Essentially, mm-hmm. although can freedom and Ennis, Ennis Ennis freedom, freedom, which Andre Goodall had some thoughts on that the other night. Um, <laughs> but um, I just I, I think that he he can maybe be used as a playoff series tool to try to pick at a soft spot on the other team. But I also think he, you know, when we look at him and Porter as these veteran minimum signings, to me, it's very clear now like Porter is rising above him as like when we talk playoff importance. No question, and might play the same position. Right? They, they do. Big, yeah. They really do. Yeah. They could be on the floor. I'll at just the same say, you know, time, we but... t- we talked a lot about Bealitz's uh, playmaking, and we properly did because he was good in the first game, and he was pretty good at it in the preseason. That's over with. He's terrible at it now. I think defenses have picked it up. It's a turnover waiting to happen now. When he puts the ball on the ground, he's like trying to get to the rim, and there's two guys swiping at it, and it's gone. Ball or he jumps in the air, can't make the shot. 
tries to throw it out, a force pass, and that's actually gone for a dunk on the other side because they're all over that. Uh, he should not do that much anymore unless it's wide open because it is it's 75% of the time now. It's a, it's a debacle. So, and that maybe is some of his value. And I understand he wants to maintain his value. He wants to show what he can do. He can't do that anymore. He's not good at it. And stand out there at 25 feet. If you're open, take the shot. If you're not, pass it. And, and maybe take one dribble and stop. But everything else has been not good. And that hurts them. Those live ball turnovers are like their defense is so good. Even if you turn it over, if it's a dead ball turnover, you come back and you set your defense and you let Draymond and Iguodala and everyone else stop the other team. When they start throwing the ball to the other team and they're going down for three-on-ones, that's when they get beat. That's when they give up points because otherwise their their half-court defense is so damn good. The elites can't get in because they're going to have their turnovers. Right? Steph's going to turn the ball over. Draymond's going to turn the ball over. Usually not live ball turnovers. When Bielitz and JTA has been the other one, like you know, gets in the middle and just starts throwing the flinging the ball around, and those are live ball turnovers end up with dunks. And Steve Kerr calls timeout. Like that's you see it. Like every time that happens, Steve Kerr, call, Kerr has to call timeout. He doesn't always take them out. You know, Bielitz or JTA he usually keeps them in at least for a couple possessions. But those are killer, and they just can't do it. You know, they're good enough not to try that. They don't need to try that. They, they other things they can do. And they definitely are good enough on defense where they just don't want to give up dunks on live ball turnovers. And those have been bad by Bielitsa. And the more he does it, I think like the, the less I believe that he's going to have a major role in the playoffs. All right, Tim, it is an interesting week ahead. So we will talk to you again uh, next week when we'll know more about any potential protocol additions. Uh, and, you know, it'll be post-Christmas. So... We'll have seen another Suns game, although it doesn't seem... We got Memphis-Phoenix to talk about. Those are two important teams for the Warriors right now. Those are two teams that are on the calendar, and you're looking forward and to it. And Utah's coming up. Yeah, and so there's a nice series of matches. In a way that we perhaps won't, did not talk about the Warriors matching up with the Kings. Put it down. Yeah, but, you know, again, the problem, like, no pool, no Wiggins. Particularly against Phoenix. Like, if Phoenix... Hmm. Mm-hmm. And Devin Booker's back, by the way. So, All right, we will talk to you later. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.